So one of the things that many 21st century uh, Christians aren't aware of, and I'm not even sure I can fully explain this in a way that, that, that we can all appreciate, um, is that when 2,000 years ago when the church started, there was extraordinary, uh, in-your-face, out-in-the-open uh, racial division. And it wasn't in between two groups, it was actually in between five different groups. Um, there were the Jews who looked down on everybody. There were the Gentiles who thought that the Jews thought they were better than everybody. Um, there were the slaves who were slaves. And then there was a group called the freedmen who had either bought um, or behaved or won their freedom. And the slaves hated the freedmen. The slave owners never respected the freedmen. Um, and then there was the fifth group, the women, who had absolutely no rights whatsoever. And there were people from all five of those groups that began to follow Jesus. And they all showed up at church. Because you couldn't have... Um, uh, all of one group go to the Baptist church and all of another group go to the Methodist church. There was only one church. So when you became a part of the church, you were part of that church and you had slave owners and freedmen and slaves and women and Jews and Gentiles all worshiping together in the same place because somehow they had managed to work through and move beyond this extraordinary division at every level in their culture, financially, um, culturally, where, where people were born geographically. You can read about some of these stories. In fact, we do read about some of these stories in the New Testament, and we just kind of gloss over them because we're not as familiar with that culture as we are our culture and our, our day and age. But there were so many ways the church could have been divided but they found a way to be united. And, and so today, we're going to get a glimpse um, into how the early church dealt with that because well, that's where we're at in our series through the book of James, but also because I think this gives us hope for the modern-day church. When, when you look at all the division, when you look at all of the hatred, when you look at all the racism in our country, the temptation is to think, well, it's just never going to end. It's too big of a problem. There's just, there's just nothing that we can do about it. But 2,000 years ago, the church rose to the occasion as the solution to the cultural and to the racial division around them. They actually did something with what they believed. They didn't just hear the word they did what it said, and it actually changed their world. So if you want to follow along, and I really hope you want to follow along today, find James chapter 2. Um, this is one of those uncomfortable passages of Scripture um, in normal times, um, but maybe even more so in the times that we find ourselves. It's, um, it's one of those passages, it's one of those places in Scripture that we're kind of tempted to skip. Um, mainly because of the illustration that James uses. Um, but on the other hand, there's a principle behind this that just is so relevant 
and it, and it shows us the way forward. So um, that's where we're going. Here we go. James chapter 2, starting in verse 1. We could pray and close after this one verse right here. James says, my brothers and sisters. So he's talking to Christians. This is, this is for those of us who are following Jesus. We talked about that last week. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, he is setting us up big time right here. Believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism, period. Let's close in prayer and move on with our day. <laughs> if only it were that easy, right? Don't show favoritism. Now, here's the definition that I'm going to work with um, when it comes to favoritism. You can't find this in the dictionary. At least I don't think you can. I actually didn't check. This is just my working definition for, for where we're going today. Uh, favoritism is treating certain people better than others based on preference, prejudice, or personal gain. Treating certain people better than others based on preference, prejudice, or personal gain. So I choose one person over the other because of my personal preference, because of my prejudice that I'm aware of or I'm not aware of, or because I think I can gain something from them. I know it's not logical. I know it's not reasonable. But I'm going to gravitate towards certain people and purposefully gravitate away from other people. That's kind of a general idea, general definition for favoritism. And, and as I said, James is setting us up. He addresses them. He addresses us as brothers and sisters, as in we're all a part of the same family. We're all in this together. We're all on the same page, especially when it comes to our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. We've all been totally accepted by God in spite of our sin, in spite of our dysfunction, in spite of our broken promises, in spite of all the junk in your life. You've been accepted by God through Jesus. And so James says, don't turn around and show favoritism based on things you wouldn't want God to show favoritism on. And, and as we move through this, here's kind of the, the implication. If you show favoritism, you have a higher standard than God. If you show favoritism, your standard is higher than God's because God has accepted you in spite of your uniqueness, and you're going to turn around? <laughs> and treat other people or mistreat other people based on their uniqueness? I mean, what if, what if God treated you the way you treat them? What if, what if God only accepted people with a certain IQ or with a certain amount of money or with a certain uh, color of skin or ethnicity? What, what if God only accepted the Jews and nobody else? I mean, he could have done that for a little while. It looked like he was going to do that. And James is saying, my brothers and sisters, Christians, followers of Jesus, we cannot segment and split ourselves into categories that God doesn't even recognize. Quit acting as if you have a higher standard than God for who you will or who you won't accept. And, and then he gives us an illustration that seems irrelevant 
because like nobody would do this, or, or at least nobody would want to be around people who do this, but we still need to pay attention. Look at verse 2. He says this, suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes. All of that was a sign of wealth back then. And a poor man in filthy clothes also comes in. If you show special attention, that's favoritism, to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand here or you sit on the floor by my feet. And again, we go, I would never do that. Like, we would never do that. We would never demonstrate that kind of disregard for somebody who looks like they don't have as much money and then show favoritism to, to, to somebody who does. But James is not, he's not done. Verse 4, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil, what's the word? He's not just talking about outward behavior. He's talking about inner thoughts. They'd become judges with evil thoughts. That means that they looked at the evidence like a judge, as shallow as the evidence might be. They look at the evidence. They drew a conclusion about that person based on the evidence and labeled them guilty. In this illustration, guilty of too much money or guilty of not enough money. And those thoughts turned into behavior. The ushers would ush the rich people to the front row and they would ush the poor people to the back or to a seat on the floor. And James, remember, James is a pastor. He's leading these people. He's leading this church, these these churches in and around Jerusalem. He's trying to get them to think in terms of who God has made us to be, not just individually but us as in the body of Christ. And just like today, they were allowing their culture's thinking. They were allowing the the message in their greater culture to seep into their thinking to, to the point where they were segmenting and separating based on a standard that God doesn't value. And he's going to come back to that here in a second. And, but, but I need to say this. It makes us uncomfortable to think about this. The thought certainly makes me uncomfortable. But there's a certain kind of person that could walk into your personal bubble that you wouldn't necessarily pay attention to, but Jesus would. And there's a certain type of person that could walk into your personal space that you would be tempted to value that Jesus wouldn't necessarily be tempted to value because it's just part of our nature. We make judgment calls based on our evil thoughts. We do this. And and listen, every church has its problems, but if you were to look at, at the problems that oftentimes divide churches, that cause division in churches, the root of the problem is placing value on others based on something God doesn't value and undervaluing people that God would value. This is almost every single time the root issue that destroys churches, which is why I think God wanted to deal with this so early on in the life of church. He says, James, you got to tell them. You've got to tell them, stop valuing things that I don't and start valuing things that I do. 
What does that mean? What does God value? James lays that out for us. Verse 5. It says, listen, my dear brothers and sisters. Again, he's, he's talking to the family. He's talking to Jesus' followers. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? Sounds an awful lot like his brother in the Sermon on the Mount, doesn't it? James is saying, you go down this route, you, you, you do this, you show favoritism, you're going to value the wrong thing. You're going to honor the rich and dishonor the poor, which is the complete opposite of what God does. He's more honored by the faith of the poor than the riches of the rich. You say, why? Where, where do you get that? Well, it goes back to the, the, the very beginning of this letter where James talks about God, God sees poor people as rich in matters that matter, or in, in, in the things that matter to him, faith. Poor people are rich in faith. It takes more faith to be poor and believe in God than it takes to be rich and believe in God. And again, James's brother had an awful lot to say about that. And he's not done. He's not done even in the slightest. He's actually going to lay it on pretty thick here. Verse 6. But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? In, in that particular culture, it was the rich who had all the leverage. Um, if you were poor, you had no recourse in the legal system. So James is saying, not only are you valuing the wrong thing from God's perspective, you're completely ignoring how they take advantage of you in court. You're completely ignoring how their behavior is reflecting on the name of Jesus. It's just so backwards. It's just so, so backwards. So this, this, this it, it's again, because of the illustration, it's so tempting for us just to kind of to, to ignore this. Say, I don't really have that problem, even though some of us do. The whole rich-poor dynamic isn't the only thing that we get sucked into when it comes to this. So... I made a list, and this is not my personal list, although I'm certainly guilty of some of them. This is a list that, that I came up with from my years of pastoring. I could give you names. I could give you specific details for all of these. I'm not going to. That would boost the amount of shares this message gets online, but I'm not going to do that. I just want to show you that this, this kind of thinking, this kind of behavior didn't just happen 2,000 years ago. It still happens. It still happens today. So see if you might identify with any of this. Um, some of you do dislike rich people. Some of you, the first time you came to this church, you pulled up in our parking lot and you saw certain cars and you immediately thought, yeah, this church isn't for me. You never met anybody, but you made a judgment call based on an outward appearance. Some of you, uh, you dislike poor people because you think they're lazy. Uh, they, they just don't have what it takes. You don't know their story. You don't know who they are, but you just dislike them. Uh, some of you don't like fat people. Some of you don't like skinny people. Um, I'm going to meddle here a little bit. Some of you older single ladies don't like younger single ladies. You wish that they'd go to a different church and leave your territory. Some of you... Younger single guys don't like older single guys because you think they had their opportunity and they need to get out of your way. 
Some of you don't like black people. You'd never say it, but you don't. Some of you don't like white people. You'd never say that, but you don't. Some of you don't like Hispanic people. You don't even know them. But you see somebody who looks Hispanic, and you immediately make a judgment about them. You lump them all together. Some of you don't like divorced people. Some of you don't like married people. Some of you don't like people with bad taste. You see what they wear. You see what they drive. You see where they live. And you immediately think, they're just not my people. I could, I could just never relate to them. Can you, can you imagine what God is doing when we have these thoughts? It's like, what? You, you're going to write them off because they have bad taste? Maybe? Maybe I should have a bad taste category. What would a bad taste category from the perspective of heaven look like? Wouldn't we all fit in that category? Some of you don't like stay-at-home moms. Some of you don't like stay-at-home dads. Some of you don't like working moms. Because if she really loved her kids, I've heard that. Some of you have an attitude towards people who send their kids to public school. Some of you have an attitude towards people who send their kids to private school. Some of you don't like the athletic type of person. Uh, Some of you don't like artsy people. You think all artsy people are gay. They're not but that's what you think. Some of you don't like business people. They, they remind you of your dad. They remind you of your grandpa. They remind you of a former boss. They remind you of somebody who sued you. You don't like business people. Uh, some of you don't like people with lots of kids. You think how irresponsible to have five children. And some of you think people who stop at two are selfish and have limited God. Some of you don't like Republicans, because how in the world could a Christian ever vote for Trump? And some of you don't like Democrats, because Jesus was obviously a Republican. And I could go on and on and on and on and on, but you just need to hear something. You will not go to this church for very long, or any other church in this world for very long, until you bump into somebody that represents a category that you struggle with. You struggle with for whatever reason. And all the while, all the while God's going, let me get this straight. You were dead in your sin. You were going to hell. You you were intentionally rebelling against me. I sent Jesus to forgive you. I redeemed you, I adopted you, I restored you, I gave you a family, I've given you an inheritance that neither moth or rust can destroy, and you turn around and mistreat people over, what was it again, the way they dress? The color of their skin? The way they vote? Really? What if God treated you that way? What if, what if salvation worked that way? What if you had to be born a certain race with a certain IQ and a certain income range with a certain skill level? 
See, all of us, all of us who, who didn't fit the criteria would fall on our knees and go, please, 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 please accept me even though I don't meet the standard. Every single one of us would. Which I think is James's point. We are the one unified body of Christ. But it's in you. It's in me. It's in us to categorize and divide, and it's us versus them. And sometimes that leaks into what we say. Sometimes it leaks into what we do. And sometimes it leaks into how we, thought, how we think, our thought life. So there's the problem. There's the problem. What do we do? What do we do with that? How, how are Jesus followers supposed to act when it comes to our differences, when it comes to our uniqueness? James gives us the solution. And I got to tell you, I am so glad that the solution is not, well, you just need to like the people you don't normally like. <laughs> I'm so glad that's not the solution because I don't have much control over that. Do you? I, I just don't know we have that much control over it. So that's not the solution. Here's what, here's what James says the solution is. Verse 8. If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. James says it's really simple. When you run into that person, when you run into that person that reminds you of a category of person that you have a tendency to judge or to steer away from, or there's just something inside of you that rises up, it's really simple. This is Christianity 101. This is basic stuff. When you bump into that person, see them in the parking lot, see them at Walmart, walking down the hall, whatever it is, and you find that thing inside of you starting to make a judgment call, here's what you do. You love them the way you love yourself. You see yourself in them. And you know where James got this? It originally started in Leviticus, but then um, his brother one day was asked what the greatest commandment was. And Jesus said, well, the first one is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is like it. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. So you do that, problem solved. If you see yourself in that person, the, the, the black, the white, the rich, the poor, the Republican, the Democrat, where's her husband? She didn't have a ring on. Instead of seeing all of that, you look at the person and you love them the way that you'd like them to love you. You love them the way you love yourself. Do that, you eliminate the problem. And please hear me. Please hear me, Grace Point. The health of a local church is not found in how much money they have in the bank. It's not found and measured in, in what their facilities are like. It's not measured in how good their weekend services are and how killer the band is or how great the kids' ministry is or their logos. None of that matters. The health of a local church is measured in how well they love God and how well they love each other. Period. 
period. And the way that we love each other is by seeing ourselves in each other. If you'll see yourself instead of the preference, if you'll see yourself instead of the prejudice, if you'll see yourself instead of the single, the married, the black, the Asian, the white, the rich, the poor, how they vote, whatever it is, if you'll see and love people the way you love yourself, it will eliminate favoritism, racism, ageism, sexism, and all the other isms that I can't think of. And, and hear me, James is not saying, yeah, you guys kind of need to tighten this up a little bit. You should really, really think about this. You should probably do a Bible study about it. No, he makes it very clear. Don't miss it. If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. Verse 9. But if you show favoritism, you sin. Ugh. <laughs> See, have you ever confessed favoritism as sin? I, I've never prayed, Lord, please forgive me for showing favoritism. <laughs> I've never prayed that prayer. Well, I, James, I thought sin was like adultery and murder. And he goes on to say, yep, it is. But so is favoritism. If you murder someone, you commit adultery, you show favoritism, it's all in the same boat. It's all sin. Well, where do you get that, James? From my brother who said the second greatest commandment was to love your neighbor as yourself. And you can't love your neighbor as yourself if you show favoritism. See, here's, and here's the temptation, and maybe it's just in me. But the temptation is to dismiss this as sin and say, yeah, it's just the way I was raised. Yeah, I was just raised to feel comfortable around certain types of people or certain groups or certain categories, and I'm just not as, I'm not as comfortable around other groups and other categories. But James is very clear. For the sake of the health of the church, for the sake of the name of Jesus, let's just call it what it is. It's sin. You're breaking the second greatest commandment. So confess it. Own it. Deal with it. And when you, when you see those people, when you see those, those emotions start to rise inside of you, instead of steering clear, maybe you actually steer in their direction. And somehow, some way, with the help of the Spirit, you love them like you love yourself. And you do that over and over and over and over and over again. It will root out that sin from your heart. So let me ask you, who is that for you? Who's that person? Who's that, who's that person or that, that category that you don't like? No, that's too strong. Who's the person? Who's the person that represents the category of people that you go, Rrr. it's the category of people or the person that you hear about and, and you immediately go, well, I bet she never. 
or I bet he always, I've never met an honest one. You just, you just lump them all into one category and make a judgment call. Who is that for you? And would you be willing to take a giant step forward in your faith today? And here's where it starts. It starts like this. God, I agree with you. That's sin. I have sinned. That attitude, those thoughts, that behavior, it's not just preference. It's not just prejudice. It's sin. So would you please forgive me? Would you please root that out of my heart? And as you root that out of my heart, I am going to cooperate with your spirit by loving them, by loving that group, by loving that individual the way I love myself. And and then secondly, I don't know if this is even possible, but wouldn't it be great Wouldn't it be great if our church decided, even if nobody else does, if our church decided instead of running away, instead of isolating from people that cause that feeling in us, that we ran toward them, that we entered into relationship with them, and that we just decided to love them the way that we love ourselves. We decided to honor as we want to be honored to accept the way we want to accept, that we would simply embrace the second greatest commandment and love as we love ourselves, instead of huddling in our echo chambers and segregating ourselves to people who look like us and talk like us and think like us and vote like us, we wouldn't show favoritism, but that we would love our neighbors as we love ourselves. And James says, you do that, You'll be one. You'll you'll be the unified body of Christ, the way God designed us to be. You'll be brothers and sisters. And not only that, we'll show a watching world what it looks like to be in community with people who look and talk and act and vote nothing like us. And that kind of community, that kind of love, that kind of faith changed the world once. And I think that kind of community, that kind of love, that kind of active living faith, I think it can change the world again. So instead of making excuses, let's make confessions. Instead of blaming it on preference and prejudice, Let's just call it what it is. Let's admit, let's confess. It's sin, and it separates me from God, and it kills relationship. And I want to be about a community. I want to be about a king that is unifying and restoring this world to the kind of kingdom where we love each other the way we want to be loved. Let me pray. Father in heaven, this is, um, this is one of those passages that, honestly, growing up, I never heard taught. I, I can't honestly remember one time ever hearing a message about this. I've read it many, many times. 
And God, I, I, I can't help but wonder if there's a whole bunch of us that are in that same boat. And God, we, we want to be, at least I want to be, I want to be the kind of person that just, uh, I align my priorities with your truth. And God, if, if, if you say that favoritism is sin, I want to align myself with that. And so God, would you root this out of my heart? Through your word, through your spirit, through your people? Would you show me where I fall short in this? Would you open my eyes to to the things that, that where I'm writing people off for whatever reason, and then show me what it looks like. Help me to love people around me the way that I love myself. And God, in, in doing that, I don't want to draw people to me. I don't want to draw people to Grace Point. I ultimately want to draw people to you. I want to draw people to the Savior who redeems, who forgives, who unifies, who restores, who redeems, who adopts, and who's building this multi-generational, multi-ethnic family that we'll spend forever and ever and ever and ever together. So God, help us as individuals, help us as a church, help us as small groups, help us as your people here in Topeka, Kansas, to be the kind of people that bring bits and pieces of your heaven to this earth. And we pray it all in Jesus' name.